The great pastor Adrian Rogers, who was called home to the Lord in 2005, once said, The world is growing gloriously dark. What do you think he meant by that observation? And would you agree with it? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have in the studio with me today two of my dear friends and colleagues in Bible prophecy. First is Gary Fisher. Gary is the founder and director of a great ministry called Lion of Judah located in Franklin, Tennessee. And in fact, this year he's celebrating 21 years in ministry. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, brother. I feel at home. It's great to be here. Well, great. And then next to me here is my former colleague, Dennis uh, Pollock, who was uh, with this ministry for 11 years. And uh, Dennis is uh, celebrating his uh, 10th year of ministry because in 2005 he left us and formed his own ministry called Spirit of Grace, which is an evangelistic ministry that is primarily aimed at uh, delivering the gospel to the people of Africa, although he does ministry in India and the Philippines also. But he primarily focuses on Africa. Glad to have you back with us. Always glad to have you back with us. Thanks, Dave. Now, fellas, I want to jump right into this. Uh, I have many hobbies. And one of the hobbies I have is the collection of quotes. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of strange, but I've done it all my life. Collected quotes and collected quotes. I just love it when people put profound thoughts in short, pithy statements. And now, quite are often, any of my quotations? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and quite often in our magazine, which we put out every month, every other month, I will have a whole page of just quotations that I call food for thought. So I thought it might be interesting to do a television program like we've never done before, and that is to put the two of you on the hot seat by me reading your quote and asking you to comment on it, okay? And I love to have you on the hot seat. (laughs) So let's start out with the one I started with at the beginning of the program, Adrian Rogers, who said, the world is growing gloriously dark. Now that sounds like a contradiction. Mm Mm-hmm. The world is growing gloriously dark. Do you agree with that? Uh, uh, What does he mean? What do you think he meant by it? Well, you know, when I saw that quote, I wondered myself. (laughs) I I have no problem with the idea of the world growing dark, uh, particularly in America and Europe, I think is the darkest of all. But gloriously. Uh, Gloriously dark. The only thing I can imagine he, he may have been thinking was when things are really dark, light shines all the brighter and maybe saw that as an opportunity for us to perhaps shine in a brighter way than we normally would. Okay. How about you, Gary? Well, I, I personally uh, have talked to Adrian uh, several times, and I think I have a feel of what he meant because of our previous conversations. But he said this, I think, because he knows that dark days precede the great coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, when you see these things beginning to take place, lift up, your, your well, redemption yeah, I, is drawing near. I think so. That I, You know, the Bible says that the world's going to go full circle. It's going to go back to as evil as it was in the days of Noah, which was uh, uh, primarily immorality and violence. Yes. And that's what we're seeing. Yes. And so it's a precursor of the return of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask you another one here. Let's take one from Don Wildman, 
who is one of my heroes of the Christian faith, the founder of the American Family Association. And Don Wildman said, the fundamental problem with our nation can be traced to 300,000 silent pulpits. Gary? Uh, I think that's right on. Uh, he said absolutely. it for years. Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, the church is salt and light in societies where she lives. If the salt loses its flavor, it becomes useless and ready to be trampled under. Yeah, but we, we've man. got pastors in the pulpits every Sunday. What does he mean, 300,000 silent pulpits? Well, most of them will, uh, are afraid to speak out on the issues. Uh, and we need a church that speaks on the moral issues of the day. What we have today is a, a government that's hijacking those moral issues and making them a political issues, and the pastors fact, are afraid. In fact, you got in trouble for doing that at church, didn't you? I did. Tell me about it. Uh, I was uh, invited to come teach a Sunday school class, and the pastor invited me to teach uh, the congregation afterwards. And uh, I finished in the Sunday school class about, oh, just a few minutes, and I looked over to the director, and I said, how, many, how much time do we have left? He said, about eight minutes. And I said, well, i tell you what we're going to do. I said, we uh, have one of the most important elections. This was last presidential election cycle. And I said, we have one of the most important elections coming up in the history of the United States. I said, here's what I want you to do. I, you, you understand I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a theocrat. <laughs> so you take your God in that voting booth and you remember three issues, same-sex marriage, uh, abortion on demand, and support for Israel, and you vote how you think your God would. Well, this lady got furious with me. She you, went out and found. You didn't the endorse any candidates. Absolutely not. And she got furious. She went and found the pastor and read him a riot act. He came and found me, and he said, "I'm sorry, but I promised him I'd never be political here, and uh, you can't speak to the congregation today." So, <laughs> and that was being political. Yes. Oh my. How about you, uh, Dennis? Any comment uh, you want to make about that? Three hundred thousand silent pulpits. Well. I, I will say this. I, I know we have some good pastors that oh, are yeah, speaking absolutely. out. To, to suggest that there are no pastors anywhere in the country yeah. is maybe a little bit of hyperbole. But yes. uh, there are many pastors that are fearful. You know, one of the things that makes a good pastor, uh, generally speaking, is you're a people person. And one of the aspects of being a people person is you like people to like you. Yeah, you, know? you don't want to offend anybody. If you've got the, <laughs> that abrasive personality that you don't give a hoot what anybody thinks about you, you probably wouldn't really be a good pastor. But the problem is if you take that and stretch it too far, you end up just speaking the positive stuff. You refuse to speak out. And when, you know, to me the key is look at Jesus Christ. You know, what was he like? And, and what was his attitude about speaking on the issues of his day? Jesus said this, he said, the world cannot hate you, speaking to some of the disciples. He said, the world can hate you, but it hates me because I, I speak out that its deeds are evil. So what he's saying is, you're too popular. You're so popular, nobody can hate you, and that's not a good thing. That has been a theme of Franklin Graham's statements recently about uh, challenging pastors to really speak yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Uh, let me give you one that's similar from Don Wildman's son, okay. Tim Wildman, who spoke at our conference this year. Uh, and in the conference, he was talking about how many Christians believe that it is wrong to get involved in politics in any way, like to run for office or to support a candidate or whatever. And uh, he said, it makes no sense to me for Christians to emphasize obeying the law while insisting that the making of the law should be left up to pagans. Yeah, absolutely. The Bible says, render to Caesar the, thing, the, Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. Yeah. We owe our country to be involved in voting, in supporting candidates that, that hold a biblical view. 
And depending on your calling, you know, there will be Christians that I believe will be called to get involved in government, get involved in politics. But, of course, not everybody will be called. That's so that's true. a personal issue. But we should all at least vote, at least be aware, watch the news. You know, hey, you have Christians that say, oh, I don't want to watch the news. It's, it's just so depressing. I just want to read my Bible <laughs> and watch Christian TV. But, you know, watch the news. Find out what's going on. Be informed. In fact, we have a part-time evangelist for this ministry, Tim uh, Moore, who lives in Kentucky and preaches for us on weekends, and he happens to be a member of the Kentucky legislature. And boy, he's in there fighting okay. uh, hard for the moral issues. Praise God. Well, folks, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and my discussion of current events from a biblical perspective featuring two colleagues of mine, Gary Fisher and Dennis Pollack. Fellas, I want to get right back into this as quickly as possible. Let me give you a quote from Ed Heinsohn, who's one of the great prophecy teachers of America and dean of the Liberty University Seminary. He says, Satan doesn't care about other religions. He is only interested in opposing the truth of Christianity. What about it? I agree with him. Uh, Satan knows that Acts 4.12 says there is absolutely no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Their salvation is in no other. So it makes sense for Satan to go after the juggler vein and, and discredit Jesus Christ. He's interested in going after truth. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the, the devil is, of course, anti-God, and that means he's against everything that has to do with God. And the Bible tells us he's our adversary. Peter says, your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, trying, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah. So his great desire is to take everything that pertains to God, hmm. which would be the church, individual Christians, the Bible, Christianity as a whole, and discredit it, destroy it, um, give it a bad taste, do whatever he can and to it And isn't it down. interesting that as we look around the world today, we see Christianity under attack Everywhere. That's right. Of course. Everything else is tolerated. Yeah. Someone said, uh, if you haven't yet run into the devil yet as an <laughs> adversary, maybe you're going the same direction as he's going. <laughs> oh, so. I like that. Well, let me, let me give you one that's one of my favorite quotes at, uh, from Mark Hitchcock. I, most, both of you know him. He is a pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, and a Bible prophecy expert and prolific author. And he says, when the rapture occurs, we are going to get an airlift accompanied by a facelift. That's one of the reasons I'm looking for the upper taker and not the undertaker. <laughs> I love that quote. Uh, amen. <laughs> what about that? What's he talking about? An, an uplift and a facelift and all that. First Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 promises a brand new body when the rapture occurs. And uh, that's a glorifying uh, thought. That's a facelift. Absolutely. <laughs> and then First John, what is it, 3, 2, I believe it is, John says uh, we will be like him. Yes. For we will see him just as he is. And I you know, uh, a godly person would want to be like God more than he wants to be like himself. So this is a great promise in yeah, the future. So the rapture is the idea that the Lord's coming for the church, going to take us out of here before that tribulation begins. And so he's looking for the upper taker instead of the undertaker. And changes. <laughs> well, let, he let, says it in a, in a humorous way, but really there's some pretty sound theology oh yeah. behind what he's saying. You know, you, as Gary said, and you can point to some other scriptures, We'll meet the Lord in the air. You know, we will go up hmm. and uh, we'll, we'll have a new body. We will have a facelift. And he is the upper taker, the one that will draw yeah. us to himself. So I, I would like theology. to add one other thought to that. Today would be a good day. Uh, amen. <laughs> How about uh, this quote by Don Ott? Don's a good friend of mine who's president of Christian Psychological Resources in Arkansas. He's also a Bible prophecy scholar. And he wrote this. He said, in the 20th century, 
Billy Graham would proclaim, the Bible says. I can just hear him right now. The Bible says. But in this century, the cry is, who cares what the Bible says? How accurate do you think that is? You know, it's it's, uh, interesting. I, I read a statistic that said the average American home has four Bibles plus, a little over four Bibles. Uh, and, and we do not see a strong verbal challenge to the Bible yet. I believe that will come. But he, the quote is right. Nobody much cares what the Bible says. Uh, they just refuse yet to challenge it. And our job is to keep putting it in front of us when we are making our stands on positions like abortion and homosexuality and so forth and say, this is not our opinion, this is not our bias, this is not just some thought we had. This is what the Bible says, and we love the Bible, we love Christ, we believe in the Bible. So, uh, yeah, um, America has moved far, far from from a, a dependence on Scripture. Now, some have said, because America has done that, preachers ought to just stop preaching the Bible, just try to reason with Americans because they don't believe it anyway. I don't hold to that view. I believe the Bible is so powerful that whether someone believes it or not, share it anyway, (laughs) declare it anyway. Well, one of the uh, best-known Christian leaders in America right after the Supreme Court decision said that he had changed his mind about same-sex marriage because he had a long talk with his wife, and his wife just uh, had such empathy for for these people, and and his feelings got involved in that, and and he just believed that that was the way to go was, was with his feelings. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you get in trouble following your feelings. What did Jesus say to the devil? It is written. It it is written. (laughs) There is an emerging uh, phenomenon going on in the church, and you just nailed it. Uh, It's judging truth by the way it makes them feel. Instead of judging truth uh, logically but what it says. That's very much a part of the emergent church movement. I'm going to give you a quote from a leader of that, Rob Bell, who says, the church has become irrelevant to issues like same-sex marriage, and it will continue to be even more irrelevant when it defends itself by quoting letters written 2,000 years ago. Yeah. It sounds like the Bible's become irrelevant I mean, to Bob just, Bell. Who yeah. cares what the Bible says? Well, it's disgusting, yeah. but what he ought to consider is that Jesus Christ was a theological conservative. He believed the Bible. He talked about creation. He believed in Adam and Eve. He talked about Jonah. He believed in the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. He believed that Elisha healed a leper. He believed all these things. And he was God in the flesh. And he was God in the flesh. And he said, the scripture cannot be broken. It is inspired of God. So if Jesus himself, God in the flesh, declares his love for the word, declares it's true... Who in the world would we be to say, oh, he was wrong, he was primitive, he, he was naive, he didn't understand, but, but we do today. It's ridiculous. Yes. To play off of Dennis's point, uh, there is this great movement out there uh, to say that the Bible cannot be taken literally. You've made a reference. Jesus was obviously taking the Bible literally. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, when the Bible says something about uh, homosexuality, it doesn't mean what it says literally. Uh, and, and on That's and on it goes. symbolic homosexuality instead of real it's homosexuality. Just, it's just an well, allegorical book. Yeah. This is exactly what happened in England in uh, the beginning of the 20th century when uh, German higher criticism crossed the channel and hit England like a bomb. Yes. Uh, people began to say, now, 
With regard to homosexuality, the Bible says this. Modern psychology says this. The Bible was written by a bunch of fuddy-duddies 2,000 years ago. I mean, what right. did they really understand? These are modern psychologists. So you pay your money, you take your choice. Yes. And the choice was people just stopped going to church. And today 7% of the people in Britain go to church. The problem, the big problem with thinking that the Bible has become irrelevant is to also think that people are evolving and changing, and that is the lie. Oh, people are the same today as they were the day those words yeah. were penned. You mean we're not more sophisticated? We just no. have bigger, bigger toys is all we have. That's and all we if have. you look at the, the history of those who've ever done anything great for the Lord, reached lots of people, been used mightily in the hand of the Lord, they all love the Word. They mm. love the Word. Uh, many years ago, Billy Graham had a contemporary named Chuck Templeton. And they were both great preachers. They both preached in an organization called Youth for Christ. Yes. And some people thought Templeton was actually a better preacher than Billy Graham. Templeton, after being you know, heralded as like the greatest guy to ever come along and preach in, in many a century, began to move away from his love for the Bible, began to question the Bible, and finally gave up entirely, not only on the inspiration of Scripture, but on the deity of Christ. Oh. And he tried to influence Billy Graham that way and tried to tell him, you know, Billy, you know, you've got to, you've got to get modern here. The Bible's got errors. It's got faults. It's got flaws. And, and Billy wavered for just a little while. And finally, he, he battled it out in, on a golf course. And he, he had a, a Bible in his hand. He was praying, you know, what do I do? What do I believe? And he, he made that famous prayer, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I am going to take the Bible as your word by faith. Amen. Chuck Templeton became a nothing. He, he never reached anybody else. His life went downhill. Uh, he was not an influence, not only for God, but really for anything. Yeah. Billy Graham went on to become yes. one of the greatest evangelists of all. Well, let me give you another quote that's kind of in this same line. This is from W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas for 50 years. And he said, one of the main problems with the church today is leopard theology. <laughs> A leopard theologian is one who says the Bible is inspired only in spots, and he knows which spots. <laughs> I, I've met some of those people. <laughs> there are a lot of them around. There are. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what, what's the deal there? I, I, well, uh, people, uh, no matter whether it's theology or learning at school from the first grade teacher or whatever, they have selective learning. Uh, they want to be uh, counseled only in certain areas. Uh, and, and that secret part of my life, leave that alone. Hey, so, well, I think a lot of people approach the Bible like you're going through a buffet line. I'll have a little of this and exactly. a little of that, but I don't want any of that that's right. some of this. And it's you just know, we, we all come to, to the Lord with our biases, with our <laughs> tendencies toward this and that, and, and our beliefs. And when you first start reading the Bible, you're going to run across some stuff you really like. <laughs> But you're going to read a few verses that are what I call the flinch verses. Ooh, that that yeah. kind of hurts. Now, the question is, what do you do with those flinch verses? Well, you can just rip the page out, throw it away. That That's surely right. can't be true, and this can't be true. Or you can just stop flinching and believe it and embrace it and let the Word change you rather than you trying to delete the let, Word. Well, let the put, Lord well start put. working with it. Well, let's shift gears here for a moment to an entirely different topic. And this quote comes from, of all people, President Obama. Hmm. It says, We are not at war with Islam. We are at war with people who have perverted Islam. What about it? It's naive and it's a denial of history. Islam was never a peaceful religion from day one. No. 
Uh, it has established itself in violence all along the historical time. And holds people with violence, the threat of violence. And, and the Quran even says the unbelievers are to be killed and so forth and so on. So it is totally naive and totally deceptive to believe that this is a peaceful religion. No way. Yes? If you wanted to find out what is the essence of Christianity, you know, I want to get right into the, the, the deepest, thickest, most pure and pristine element of Christianity. Where would you go? You would go to those early Christians. You'd go hang around Paul and Peter and John and the, the early church that you read about in the book of Acts, and, and you would find out this is how it's supposed to be. Now, if you want to find out the essence of Islam... Go back to the days of Muhammad. Go back to the days of the generation that followed him. Mm-hmm. Find out the proclamations he made about fighting your enemies and, and conquering by the sword and, and making your enemies submit. You'd find out there's nothing peaceful about it. The truth is that the terrorists and the, the so-called radicals are really just simply the fundamentalists, the ones who really take it seriously. Every religion has its nominal believers yes. and its serious fundamental believers. Yes. And the radical terrorists, as we call them, are really the fundamentalists. They take it seriously. W- would you say that they're the finished product of Islam? I think so. <laughs> All right, okay. Okay, let's uh, sw- switch to another topic now. This is by Dwayne Gish, former vice president of the Institution for Creation Research. Evolution requires an enormous faith in miracles, whereas materialistic philosophy forbids them. That's a pretty profound thought. It really is. Expound on it. Well, um, when Darwin was coming up with this theory of evolution, one of the problems he ran into was there just weren't the transitional forms between one species and another. One would think that if... Uh, a fish is going to turn into a crocodile. <laughs> You're going to have a half fish, half crocodile uh, fossil somewhere or, or leftover that you can look at and say, okay, uh, this is the in-between. And there should be in-betweens in all the different uh, species as they, so, as they were supposed to have jumped, but there were none, and uh, they couldn't find them. Darwin said, well, I admit there's, there are not these transitional forms now, but, but I, I'm sure as we dig up the fossil record and yes. really get into it, we'll find them. Well, the fossil record has been dug and dug and researched, and they still can't find them. So finally they came up with a new theory. Well, there was a a kind of a quantum leap from one species to the next. You won't find many transitional forms. In fact, you may not find any, but just take it by faith. Uh, It happened. So in a sense, yeah, it's it's requiring almost a a belief in miracles. To me, it requires more belief in miracles than believing in God when you start believing in something like evolution. You know, all my life I wanted to go see Mount Rushmore, and finally I got the opportunity. I went and I stood before that magnificent piece of carving, and the thought came to me, (laughs) believing in evolution is equivalent to believing that this was created accidentally by erosion. Yes. I mean, it's just... Absolutely. Insane. Yeah. And, and particularly since the discovery of DNA, even Bill Gates says that DNA is far more complicated than any uh, type of software coding he has ever encountered in his life. And that happened accidentally? Yeah. Man reveals in this statement that he is capable of faith. It's true. And if that faith were channeled toward God instead of this other uh, stuff, God would reveal himself because he promises that. If somebody will search for me with all their heart, I will reveal myself to him. Mm -hmm. And so if they would use this faith to channel toward God 
we would have a different outcome. Well, I love the title of the book that I can't think of his name. Maybe you can think of it. Uh, the fellow in California wrote about uh, in defense of creationism. And the title of the book was, You Can Lead a Scientist to Evidence, But You Cannot Make Him Think. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. Well, let's move to another topic. Both of you know Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who is a Messianic believer, the evangelist for Ariel Ministries, uh, quite an intellectual. And uh, he made this comment. If we are currently living in the millennium, as our millennials claim, then we must be living in the slum section of it. <laughs> <laughs> what about it, fellas? <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a favorite subject of mine. Uh, I know Arnie really well. He's a great guy. And uh, I know that Arnie knows that the people that believe that are insisting on the allegorical interpretation of Scripture. Uh, for example, when you come to Revelation 19, Jesus physically comes to the Mount of Olives. He sets up as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And chapter 20 says that he sets up a thousand-year reign. Six times he sets up a thousand-year reign on earth. Uh, Zechariah 14 describes it in detail. It's going to be on earth. It's going to be a literal. Isaiah 65, they will plant vineyards. They will build houses. It's going to be a literal, literal time. And so uh, those that think that that is now are not looking at the biblical descriptions of it. Peace, righteousness, justice. Yeah. Uh, that, so, yes, you know, for the benefit of our viewers, I might explain that anomalineals believes we're living in the millennium right now, that it began at the cross and will continue until Jesus Christ comes back. And the thousand years is just symbolic. It doesn't mean a thousand years. Well, I've always felt like if we're living in the millennium now and Jesus Christ is reigning over the world, He is doing a terrible job of it. Well, I'll extend the point, and I agree. Uh, I was raised in a, a church right. environment that didn't believe in the literal return of Jesus and the establishment of a literal millennium. And what this requires is to demand the literal interpretation of Scripture. If there is no literal interpretation of Scripture that's credible here, then how do we know there was a real Jesus? Well, that's true. And also, if you consider the fact that the first coming prophecies were all literally fulfilled, why shouldn't the second coming prophecies be? Amen. And with the, the scriptures telling us that Satan has been thrown into a pit, he will deceive the nations no more. And you look at the deception and the misery that's going on in our world. Uh, well, it reminds me of a time I went to uh, something that was touted as the great revival of our times. I went to a meeting where this revivalist was supposed to be, and it was just a disappointment. It didn't go very well, and I thought... As I left, I thought, Lord, is this the best you can do, you know, in revival? Amen. And I think if, we're, if this is the millennium, the place where Satan is thrown into a pit and the nations are no longer deceived, is that the best God can do? I don't believe it is. I believe Jesus Amen. will come, as the scripture says, he will reign from Jerusalem. We will have a time where the, the nations will not war against one another, and it will be a whole lot better than this. Amen. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy, and I want to thank my two special guests for being with us and sharing your insights. And I want to ask you guys to tell the folks how they can get in touch with your ministry. Gary, you go first. Lionofjudaministry.org. And Dennis? You can find our ministry at spiritofgrace.org. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us next week, the Lord willing, when we will be discussing major religious issues like whether or not there are many roads to God. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. 
All of the powerful presentations presented at our 2015 Bible Conference are available in a video album complete with three DVDs and six 50-minute presentations. The album is titled Messages for a Rebellious Nation, and all six of the presentations it contains are related to that theme. The album can be yours for a gift of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. And again, the album contains three DVDs with a total of six 50-minute presentations. You might also want to consider ordering a copy of Dr. Reagan's book, Living for Christ in the End Times. The book was originally written in the year 2000. Dr. Reagan has revised it and brought it up to date in a second edition that has just been published. The book describes in detail the secularization of American society and the epidemic of apostasy in the church. The subtitle of the book is Coping with Anarchy and Apostasy. The book is available for a donation of $20 or more, including shipping. Or you can order both the video and the book for a donation of $35 or more, including shipping. Just ask for offer number 682. To order any of these Bible study resources, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, or you can place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 